I'm always reminded of where we are in, uh, in this book of Galatians, sort of an orientation is needed to kind of get up to speed to where, where we are. Um, as, as John was just reading, uh, I don't know how that all struck you, there's some strange language there. Um, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters, and all these sort of ideas. So I want to make sure you know that we're going to take our time in Galatians 5, and I'm going to just get through about verse 6 today, but we're going to investigate even further next Sunday, verse 6, and its application. So hopefully next week, uh, verse 6 will really just be uh, taken uh, to its full extent, and uh, you'll kind of, I think, get a good feel for what, what's going on here. So uh, I don't know if you're like me, um, but I have a lot of ups and downs in life, how I feel. Um, I, at 11 o'clock in the morning on a particular day, I might feel great, and then at 1 o'clock, I might feel a little down, and then 3 o'clock, feel better, and um, it's sort of... I don't know, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of like that. I don't know how many of you experience that in your life. Some of you are much more even-keeled. Uh, you're just able to get through life and plow ahead. Um, but right up front, I want you to know that uh, as, we, as we talk about the Bible and when we preach the Word of God, we are using theological language, right? We are, in many ways, everyone's a theologian. Everyone has some conclusion about God. Everyone has some idea about what is true or what they should be living for. So today, what I want you to know is that the application right up front is for the ups and downs of life. Okay? And it's this internal self-talk that goes on largely probably unknown unless you're really, really honest with your spouse it might even be unknown to, to your spouse. This self-talk, what you ought to be, what you should be, what you should have done, what you should do. Um, if, if you're sort of plagued by these things, um, I want you to know I identify with you personally. And I, I truly believe that this text can offer us, offer us hope. And I hope we'll have time to kind of get there and, and, and experience some of, that, some of that hope. I don't know what, why, it, why it was, but this is back in 1986. Um, now that we're through the World Series, uh, I hope your team won. Um, so back in 1986, for some reason, I was watching the American League playoffs, and I actually saw this event. And uh, the Anaheim Angels were up... Um, on the Boston Red Sox, three games to one in the American League playoffs. Now, you've got to win best of seven, so one more game, and they're going to go, the Anaheim Angels, for the first time to the World Series, where they play a National League team. Uh, it's the ninth inning. The Angels are ahead, and uh, they are one out away from going to the World Series. So it's Two outs, one more to go, and the pitch was, uh, it's been nicknamed a fork ball. And a fork ball usually dips down right before the batter, and it fools the batter, and, and that's the idea. So, but the fork ball this time didn't fork very well. 
and it stayed up in the in the batting zone. And a, the pitcher's name was Donnie Moore. And the batter was Dave Henderson, and he hit the ball out of the park. Um, and the uh, the Red Sox went ahead, something like uh, six to five, I believe. And then at the bottom of the ninth, because it was a home game for the Angels, uh, the Angels tied it up, and it went into extra innings, and the Red Sox won. And the game then went. The next, last two games went back to Boston, and the Boston Red Sox won the series. So, those of you who followed all that, that's terrible. <laughs> so, um, they were one out away from going to the World Series, and they ended up losing the world, the, 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 the playoff. Donnie Moore. It is now one of the infamous moments in sports. And uh, Donnie Moore was plagued with this for a couple more years at Anaheim. He would be booed when he went out to the mound. And uh, he was released by the Kansas City Royals in 1989 and uh, had an argument with his wife, uh, attempted to kill her. And a few, <clears throat> few moments later, took his own life. Um, his daughter would write uh, these words for her father. When he was cut by Kansas City, he'd really been depressed about that. I mean, here he is, the high life career, then all of a sudden, gone. He comes home, and the marriage, the family is destroyed. I mean, what else does he have left? Demetria Moore on why her father uh, those final acts of desperation in, a, in her father's um, life. So my question for us is, is, is when we think about the gospel, the gospel, we think about these words from Galatians, I want to assure you that the drivenness that we have toward finding our acceptance in performance is real, it is powerful. The self-talk that we have directs our actions in this life. It directs our mood, our feelings, our emotions. And uh, this performance-based acceptance of ourself is a form of idolatry. It is cruel, and idols will not forgive you, and they will whisper in your ear, Oh, you should have. Oh, if you had taken better care of me, I would have been there for you. Imagine what Donnie Moore was saying to himself when he allowed that pitch and all that happened. And think of all the self-talk, the negative self-talk. So the Bible is saying in Galatians, God is sending a love letter to the Galatians through the Apostle Paul to relieve them and to relieve us of this self-talk, whether you are religious or irreligious. You have some sort of way of living, and it is your, it's this package what brings meaning in life for you. And 
Paul is coming through and crying out to the Galatians who are choosing a conservative moralism path to living. Jesus is important, but there's all these other rules and things I ought to do. Sort of conservative moralism. He's saying you're moving back into slavery. You're heading, you've done a U-turn away from grace and you are back into slavery. It's powerful, isn't it? These, these words that we adopt in our mind, these habits that we have, this feel that we want to have of, of being okay. This is our, our struggle. It's my struggle. It's part of my ups and downs of, of my day. Now, over the years in the, in the Christian church, this idea that we are now set free from the law's condemnation. Listen, listen to that. The law, the, mostly understood to be the Ten Commandments, written in everyone's heart. This sense of obligation to God, what we owe God, the righteousness we should have before a holy God. When the Bible comes along in Scripture, it tells us that there is now no condemnation, Romans 8.1, 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It just sounds almost too good to be true. And some in the church have said, yeah, that is a little bit too good to be true. And so we now add a few laws and regulations to it, kind of tap that down a little bit. I mean, imagine what people might do if they found out they were free from the law. And so the radical claims of grace have been, have been uh, uh, stripped of, the, of, of, it, of their power, as it were. And so there are motives in the radical claims of grace for holiness. Our view of God is now different. He is so loving that he has taken care of the law for me. He is so beautiful that he has thought about my condemnation and he had that fall upon Jesus. I now have reasons to obey God that spring from gratitude. I'm responding to grace. And yes, it does sound like, well, it would just lead to a a loose life. It would lead to a, a life of licentiousness. But actually, if we really understand it, it will lead to a life of Devoted gratitude. Under the law, we had to obey because we had to, because we were sort of stuck. And we usually settled for sort of outward conformity, kind of, I look good for my neighbors, I might look good for my church crowd, so I kind of look like I'm okay, but inwardly at the heart level, I radically fall short of the law's uh, standard. I usually... We're usually functioning out of fear and rejection under the law. Fear of rejection, fear of punishment. Nowhere can our hearts be changed if we're living under law. We have sort of a mechanical discipline and a conformity to rules. Now, Galatians 5.1 is this thesis for the next two chapters in the, whole, in the book. Listen to this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. The the noun and the verb in this sentence are from the same idea, word, free, free. Literally, it could be, it's much more emphatic, and it could be read like this. For freedom, Christ freed you. 
For freedom, Christ freed you. Freedom is how you live the Christian life. Freedom is the goal of the Christian life. And I love the the tense of this verb is that it is a past completed action that continues on into the present. You have been made free. Now live in this freedom. But strangely, experientially, we can lose it. Strangely, experientially, we can lose this freedom. And this is what's going on with the Galatians. And so Paul uses this, a military term, stand firm. It's the idea of keep alert, be strong, resist this attack. It's the word that would be used for a, for a, a group of, of, of soldiers sticking together, you know, hold the ground. And, of course, we, we talk about the, the state of being, that the indicative language here, the, the state of being is that you are free. Now, the imperative, the, what, what comes from that is now Live free. Be diligent to remember and preserve, rejoice, and live in accord with our salvation. Look at the end of verse verse 1. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery characterized the the Pharisees, the scribes. It was a, a phrase that Jesus used often what you could call biblically ethical moralism. Biblically ethical moralism. That is, externally, we are, again, looking like we're conforming to the law, but we are actually not being changed from the inside. We're not receiving the redemption that's in Christ. We are in a sense, functioning quite well with our own adherence to our rules and laws. So if people move back to this, if they lose their freedom in Christ, and I want to make sure we have an understanding of what that means, freedom means that we are now no longer on the treadmill to prove our worth. We're no longer through our performance trying to make ourselves okay. It is the performance of Jesus that is now placed upon us. It's on us like a jacket. It's on us like a robe. He's the one who makes you beautiful. He's the one who makes you acceptable to God. And oh, how acceptable Jesus is. And by faith, you have now been freed by the law's condemnation and you now have the opportunity to live out from under the power of sin. If we turn back to this, here's what happens to this way of living under law. Here's what happens. We will move back to being fear-based. Am I enough of a Christian? Am I enough, according to my church's standards, am I enough, fear-based, will be proud, will be guilt-ridden, 
will fall into touchiness, insecurity, pride, discouragement, weariness, because we're never quite sure if we have worth. So that when we talk about the good news, we talk about the idea that God is now receiving us and accepting us fully and completely. What we've got to do is we've got to stand firm in that and not go back. Not go back to old self-talk, religious, moralistic self-talk. And Paul warns them, if you go back to this system of keeping laws in order to be okay, you've got to accept the whole, the whole law, the whole system. Look at verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. It's clear. There's either a gospel according to what God has done, or you are under law, and, and I wish you the best. <laughs> because you've got, a, you've got an impossible obligation to meet. And so he mentions the idea of, and look at verse 4, you are severed from Christ, because now you've turned back to law-keeping. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Again, fallen away from the principle of grace. This is not saying that a person now who, could, who was regenerate, born again, justified by grace, is somehow fallen out of that status. Because in verse 10, Paul actually says he's confident that the Galatians will do what is right. What this is talking about is experientially, a person forgets their freedom A person forgets the joy of the complete salvation in Christ, and they have fallen away from the principle of grace. Now, of course, anyone who persists in the effort of self-righteous achievement, there's a severe warning. There really is a severe warning that a person now is becoming their own savior. If they persist in the effort of works righteousness, they will not, they will be lost. So, Paul is, in his love for the Galatians, going to point out the dynamic of how one lives in freedom. How does one live in freedom? Look at verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now, that's, that's the Christian life right there. For we ourselves, this is what we do, we're eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness. What we're doing is that we are continually warming ourselves at the truth that we will be glorified, we will be okay, we will be fully accepted, we'll enter into the shining glory of the future that God is going to bring, and that this is the key to keeping your freedom. The key to keeping your freedom is remembering the hope that you have, and the hope you have is not based upon 
this momentary up you have in the Christian life or this momentary down you have in the Christian life, the hope, the, the, the freedom that you have is to now trust that God is working all things together for your good and that glory is your guarantee. We live by faith and we're eagerly awaiting our full redemption. It is a spiritual discipline and it is the development of a frame of heart of eager, passionate delight in all that we've been given in Christ that involves meditation and reflection on our justification. Our adoption and our future glorification are these, these wonderful hopes that we're looking forward to and the whole of our lives are to be in line with this. So one question will be for us. If I have been so blessed, if I have been so richly blessed in Christ, I've been freed from all condemnation, I've been freed from every negative bit of self-talk I've ever given myself, even my own opinion of myself doesn't matter, if I have been so well-loved, how should this affect me now as I faced moments of difficulty and hardship in my life? How should this affect me now when I'm tempted to feel, feel okay about myself by pursuing this or, or get involved, with again, with the Christian treadmill? We are to turn our minds to who we are and what we have in Christ so that our hearts are stirred and our behavior brought in line with these unseen realities. Our hearts are to be stirred by this hope. This is really what worship is. Worship is the stirring of the heart where our hope is now magnified. We see it more clearly. This is why it's so vitally important for the means of grace among God's people. So if our hearts are filled with this hope, then suddenly, now we look at the way we live, and suddenly we begin to see how it doesn't work for us. It doesn't matter. So, yes, it was important to do my job as a major league pitcher. Game didn't come out the way I wanted it. But what did come out beyond my imagination? What can anchor my soul in moments of tribulation, hardship, affliction, attack, what can actually make me feel acceptable, you see? What can make me feel like I belong somewhere, you see? What can help me in the ups and downs of my day? What I've got to do is I have got to let this news of my full acceptance really warm my heart. It's got to be so so ingrained in me, so, so part of me that what happens in life is not actually that important or what I pursue in life or what people see of me or don't see of me actually doesn't matter. Galatians 5.6. Galatians 5.5 5 sets up Galatians 5.6. Galatians 5.6 5, says, For in Christ Jesus, now listen to this, neither circumcision 
nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that matters is, or, but only faith working through love. Now, how does this work? So, Paul gives this remarkable conclusion to how we are to look at, at everything. Two large groups of people are represented in uh, these two categories. Circumcision can represent every aspect of religion. All its rules, all its regulations, it's just a religious camp. Uncircumcision represents heathen, pagan, loose living, right? So religion and irreligion, okay? And what Paul is saying is that neither of these count for anything. They don't gain you anything before God. It's a breathtaking statement. Neither moral exertion nor moral failure matter. The only thing that counts is what? Faith. Now, just to stop right there. The only thing that matters is faith. Now, of course, we're saying faith. In, it's not just general faith. It's faith in Christ. Faith working through love. So, n- neither religion nor irreligion counts toward establishing a relationship with God. Only faith brings us acceptance with God and the certainty that we will live forever with him. None of these other practices, whether they're religious or irreligious, count or contribute anything to our relationship with God. Paul is saying something quite radical, and listen carefully. My good performance does not make me right with God, nor does my bad performance really make me any more lost or hopeless. Listen carefully. All stand equally lost and unable to find salvation. So, there's some thoughts from Tim Keller here. When a Christian experiences a success, he or she should say, But the success does not increase God's love for me. In fact, it is only because of his love for me that this happened, not the other way around. And if a Christian experience is failure, he should say, but if I had not failed in this way, it would not make me more loved and accepted than I am already in this moment. In fact, it is only because of his love for me, not his lack of love, that he has allowed this to happen. We all know that Romans 8.28 is underway in our lives. All things are working together for the good to those who are called of God. So this is a radical principle that should work toward evenness in our Christian life. So for me, did I preach a good sermon? Well, I always liked, I would like to preach a good sermon, but in the end, preaching a great sermon doesn't increase God's love to me at all. Does that make sense? Um, and preaching a terrible sermon 
Um, well, it may be painful for you. Um, it doesn't decrease his love for me. So, both conditions don't count. So now we could begin to apply this to our lives. I want you to think about something that's really, really important to your life right now. Something that maybe led to an argument with someone, maybe something that led to um, anger with your spouse, or you know, just think about something that has really bothered you a great deal. Now, you may have been right in the, in the argument. That's fine. Was faith working through love when you were acting that way? For in Christ Jesus, now you put your, your problem in there. Um, For in Christ Jesus, Marianne and I are talking through remodeling our kitchen that's falling apart. And uh, I kind of wish that at Home Depot they had a counseling center. Um, uh, you know, it's like, okay, I, laminate tile, good. Counseling, okay. All right, we'll go over here. And, uh, you know, I think just after... I don't know. I, I, we went down there the other day. And we'd ordered our refrigerator uh, about four months ago, and now we're going to actually really pay for it. And um, I couldn't even remember what our refrigerator looked like, and I didn't care. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, all that for in Christ Jesus, having the refrigerator that you want or having the refrigerator that you don't want, doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what? You see? So, as I've joked about Tupperware righteousness, right? You can have remodeled kitchen righteousness. See? You, you, you see what I'm saying? That we're, we're really quick. Anything that reflects us, anything that reflects us, our tastes, our abilities, our, right? And, um, and it's really, really hard to admit that, you know what? Someone asked me the other day, what color is our refrigerator right now? I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember the color of our refrigerator. I've opened this thing 12,000 times. It's really interesting. That when you really press me, then it's got, it's, it reflects me. Oh, it's reflecting me. Well, do you want GE? Do you want refrigerator? Do you want Whirlpool? What, what reflects you? And I, after a while, I just said, I don't know. That looks fine. Is, does it keep things cold? Keep things cold? That's fine. So neither religion nor irreligion count toward inner character change and a heart of love. That's it. Neither one of these count because they don't produce character change and a heart of love. Faith working through love literally means it is energized by love. What is my core problem? And that is this. I do not fully believe I am loved that well. I am only as good as this circumstance, positive or negative. 
I only believe I'm as good as. My core problem is I do not warm my heart to Galatians 5.5. That I have a hope for eternal life and that faith is to be energized, strengthened, and what it does is it energizes my my sense of peace and evenness so I can I can love you. See, I can love you. If I am preoccupied with my refrigerator, don't you dare scratch it when you come to my house. See what I'm saying? Because I will it is my idol, it is an extension of my righteousness, and don't you mess with my righteousness machine. If I do not warm my heart with the hope of heaven and eternal life in Jesus Christ, and I've been loved beyond all this, whether you have a refrigerator or not, or who cares whether you have a house or not, doesn't matter, right? If I'm not warmed by that, then I will be a tyrant toward you, see? Or I will be a tyrant toward myself. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, why did I pitch that ball? And this is all about being relieved of tyranny. This is not just a nice Sunday morning talk. This is about the serious stuff that moves in us where we feel rejected, we feel inadequate, we feel like we're not enough. This is real stuff. And God is coming after the real stuff of your heart, of your mind, where you really, really live. And this is our hope, and this is what we've got. And it's it needs to be much more than theology, much more than just talk on Sunday. It needs to be power. It needs to be power in our lives. Power. And that's why we need each other. We are to be a gracious, welcoming, gospel culture church where we are understanding the pushing and pulling of our hearts and understanding that we all need to be encouraged in the gospel every time we see each other, every time we gather. So I hope you're encouraged. I hope the ups are not so up and the downs are not so down and you'll be much more even. You'll be much more even. Pray for me. I'll pray for you. Let's pray. Father, I want this uh, love that we've talked about to just slosh over into our relationship.